A few disclaimers for this episode. Number one, some parts of my audio, specifically my microphone for whatever reason, the quality is not great. I tried to kind of replace some of it and enhance the audio, amp it up, do whatever I could, but just certain parts are a little bit hard to hear or a little bit quiet. So I do apologize for that. I'm going to work on the audio quality to make it better for next episode. So I hope you can bear with me for this episode and I promise I will make it better because I know personally for me when the audio quality is echoey or annoying, I I, I get very frustrated. Another disclaimer is that some of the topics we discuss in this episode are a little bit heavier and a little bit more mature. So I would definitely advise discretion and not to listen to this in the presence of very young children, just as a warning. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Prepare to turn right. One, two, three, four. Hey guys, it's Esty. I am so beyond excited to introduce my first episode of Prepare to Turn Right. I want this to really be kind of an introduction to politics for people, specifically people my age, but really anyone who's just never really been into politics, never related to it, never had an interest in it, specifically right-wing conservative politics, because there are just aren't many young people, I feel like, in that space. And I can't think of two better people to be on my first episode than my two political buddies always, Eliana and Shauna. So why don't you both introduce yourselves? Hey, it's Eliana. Thank you so much, Esty, for having me on. I'm very honored to be your first guest. So I guess that makes me your second guest. I'm very honored to be here. I'm Shauna. I'm very excited. I feel like, Esty, you should tell them. Um, I was, that's what I was going to do. I feel like you should tell that's them. That's what I was going to do. Okay, full disclosure. This is not the first time we recorded this. Aliana and I recorded it. It was so good. We were so happy. And then it was very good. <laughs> so this is actually our second yeah, podcast, second, I guess. So but featuring me, yeah. Shauna got I'm here for the first time. Yeah. So we have a lot to cover today, and to be honest, it was hard because, like, when it's your second episode, you just start wherever your first one left off, you know, like, whatever happened in the day since. But because this is our first one, it's like, where do you start? So we just picked, like, the biggest stories from, like, the past couple weeks-ish, and... There's so many topics. Okay, I feel like the first topic we should talk about is definitely the mass shooting that happened this past July 4th in Highland Park, which is very close to home for all of us sitting here. So, Esty, why don't you give the details of the event? So there's a lot of things to talk about with this shooting, a lot of different aspects that we have to discuss. The first thing I want to do is just explain one thing that I'm not going to do, which is I'm not going to name the shooter. So this is something that I've heard people specifically from the Daily Wire talk about a reason that they don't do that. And I think it just, it always made a lot of sense to me. So if you think about it, a mass shooter, what do they want? What's their motive? They want attention. They want to bring attention to a message, attention to themselves, use it as a call for like help mentally, whatever twisted reason they have. It usually has something to do with attention or trying to draw attention toward themselves. So naming the shooter, obviously when he was still missing and there was a whole manhunt for him, that was important to put his name out, put his picture out, of course. But now that he's caught and it's just, you know, kind of investigating what happened, 
naming the shooter just feeds into his psychology of wanting attention. So I'm not going to name the shooter. The I just I really like that reasoning. I just thought it made a lot of sense. But what I do want to do before we start, because there's so much discourse, obviously, and obviously there has to be discourse because that's how we make change, you know, and that's how we learn from this. But I do think that it is important to not lose sight of the fact that there are real victims here. So I'm going to read their names just to start off. So we have Catherine Goldstein, 64, Irina McCarthy, 35, Kevin McCarthy, 37, Jacqueline Senheim, 63, Stephen Strauss, 88, Nicholas Toledo Zaragoza, 78, and Eduardo Uvaldo, 69. So I think it's just important to read their names and you know, I'll talk about them a little bit. So one of the things that I did see was when this was all happening, it was right on the cast, right after it happened on Twitter, everyone was posting this picture of this little boy, this like two year old, I think he was, yeah, I think they said he was two. And it was like, oh, he's safe. He's with, you know, strangers are taking care of him, but we don't know where his parents are. We don't know like, what his situation is. We don't know what, why he's with these strangers, whatever. And then it ended up being announced that two of the victims, Irene McCarthy and Kevin McCarthy, a married couple, 35 and 37, were his parents. And I just think it's important, you know, it's important to have sympathy in these conversations and to realize that no matter what your opinion of gun control versus not gun control, whatever your opinion of any of that is, there are real victims here with real stories and real families that you have to like really, I think, be sympathetic about. And we all have to be careful about this, both sides of the aisle. So I just wanted to put that out there. But now I just want to kind of give an overview of what happened on that day a few days ago, and then we're gonna discuss what signs were missed or were not missed or improperly handled and what we can do in the future. So the first thing to know, so the shooter, he killed seven people, one named, and he did this by climbing onto the roof of a local building, and he clearly had this attack planned, like it's, it's very obvious what we'll discuss in his history that this was planned, so it's not just impulsive, and he dressed in women's clothing to, you know, disguise himself. And there's not really a motive yet. We're not really sure exactly what how, like why he did what he did. There's some discussion of, oh, like there had been a time when he had gone into a synagogue and maybe scouted it out a few weeks ago. So it could have been anti-Semitic. People are like saying that also because um, Highland Park has a very Jewish, a very big Jewish population. There's a lot of Jews in Highland Park. So people are saying that could be a motive. Um, which, you know, we're, we're not sure. I'm not going to say either way. I think that is important to not automatically ascribe these things to racism or anti-Semitism or anything like that because it's just so often done incorrectly. You know, there's so many times where something is definitely not racist, but it's called racist. I think it's important to really say that that is a possibility, but I'm not going to call it that yet. I'm also not going to pretend that I know any political motive because people are saying, oh, he's a Trump supporter and that's the reason. I'm not going to say that because I don't know what his reasoning was. And I think that's very unproductive and very toxic to ascribe that to something political when we don't know. Also, it again, another indication that this was planned and intentional was he's very obsessed with the number seven and four, which was just very weird. Like if you looked on his Twitter, which I looked before it got taken down, it was like just kinds of like sevens and fours. It was very, very creepy and bizarre and very eerie. And obviously seven, four is July 4th. So that's a little disturbing. Also, just how he, got these firearms. So he it was a semi-automatic rifle, which he had purchased legally, which at the time, you know, he passed all the background checks, all that. But that doesn't mean, just because he had passed all the background checks, whatever, doesn't mean he had no history with law enforcement. So in April of 2019, 
he had used a machete to, like, said he was going to use a machete to try to take his life. And then in September of 2019, he had said he was going to kill every member of his family. So again, authorities were involved with him both of those times. During the second time, that second confrontation, police confiscated all his weapons. He didn't have any guns at the time. He just had knives. He had 16 knives. He had a dagger and he had a samurai type blade. So, after they couldn't take any guns, there were no guns that he had, he didn't have a FOID card, you know? But then after this, he ended up purchasing a gun. When he was 19, his father sponsored it because he was under 21, and he was able to purchase a gun. So, that's just something I think we have to discuss. So, we'll do that in a minute, but I want to just give some more background. After this first shooting, he contemplated a second attack. He drove to Madison, Wisconsin and contemplated a second attack, but that's his... His admission that he did think of a second attack, he ended up not going through with that, obviously. But that, again, a further sign that this was planned. He had a very violent online history. He went under the pseudonym of Awake the Rapper. He is, like, rap song. He, he was literally a rapper. And his music videos were incredibly violent, had a lot of imagery relating to guns and violence. And that, I think, is just another sign of his mental state. And according to his uncle, there were no warning signs, which I do not buy. I don't know if the uncle was oblivious or is lying, but there were clearly warning signs. So I think the first thing we have to discuss is how do you strike this balance? Because clearly he should not have owned a gun. I think that much we can say is obvious. He should not have had a gun. He should not have been able to own one. He had a separate gun because he left the first gun at the first scene, and then he had a separate gun with him that he took to Madison. So... How do we strike this balance of, you know, someone like this shooter should not have had guns. You should not have been able to legally purchase guns. But also, you know, respecting people's Second Amendment right to own guns and not have to go through such rigorous, crazy background checks and red flag laws to be able to own guns. But you clearly there has to be some type of background because, you know, someone like this should have not been able to purchase guns. So I think we need to discuss how, how do we strike that balance. So red flag laws feel very practical in theory. They make a lot of sense when you hear about them. It's pretty much just the idea is that anyone who's mentally unstable should not be able to own a gun, which I think we can all agree on. It's not really that no one really disagrees with that, but the fact is, is that they don't really work. There's no evidence that red flag laws are productive at all. This is a perfect example. This happened in Illinois where there are red flag laws and this you know, shooter, I'm not gonna say his name, still was able to obtain this gun and it's also an infringement on you know our second amendment right and according to the 14th amendment everyone's equal under the law and this is pretty much the opposite of that it's it's going against the 14th amendment pretty much and yeah there's just a ton of different statistics and evidence that they don't really work even though they do sound good in theory yeah and also didn't his dad buy the gun for him or something like didn't he contribute to it so yeah yeah. Yeah, that like goes against it like it he helped him i guess get the guns after all his weapons and things that he used to kill people were confiscated from his house right i feel like that's a very good point to bring up it's pretty much like okay so the red flag laws stop me from getting a gun if i'm not mentally unstable but then someone else buy the gun and, and give it to yeah like it's not do you know what i mean it's not that you're not right, solving not any the, problem it's kind of like the whole it's the whole gun control debate where like oh well if gun control there should be more gun control but like in reality you're pe- people who want guns to do bad are gonna purchase the guns illegally 
They'll find a way. Exactly. They're going to find a way, whether it's legal or illegal. So it's not really stopping anything. It's just stopping. All it's doing is preventing (laughs) the good guys from getting the gun. That's all it's doing. And it's an interesting point that when you sort of touched on is that red flag laws and people who are against red flag laws often discuss them and they say, you know, it's that means someone who doesn't like me can then go ahead right. and you know, file this thing, due process is destroyed, which of course is true. But this shows the flip side, is that if your family member is complicit, where the uncle says there were no warning signs, the father sponsored him purchasing this gun when he was 19 after these violent incidents had occurred, it shows that it works the other way too, that if you family members who are complicit in your bad behavior, then red flag rules won't work that way either. It, it, they won't work because they can restrict good people from getting guns by people who just are close to them and vindictive and it destroys due process, but it also destroys if they don't work also because on the flip side, you can have a family member who will then aid in you getting a gun and will not file a report when they know something is wrong. So I think the solution here has to be something different. Because if you think about it, really, this could have been prevented. If he had owned those guns before he had had the incidents with the knives, where he had threatened to kill himself and others, this could have been prevented because the police came and the police would have confiscated guns, but he didn't have a FOIA card, he didn't have guns at that point. He purchased the guns afterward. If he had had those guns before, they would have been confiscated. So we have to have some way of of, of being able to say that, okay, you now for the future, there's gonna be a way that we can report this where you can't buy a gun because you would have had guns taken away, except you don't just get to buy them afterward. And then because there was no official arrest or official, you know, so anything on your criminal record, that shouldn't be, you know, I think that's a reason that people are able to get these guns who shouldn't have guns because I think there needs to be different differences in the way we talk about background checks. So I think that's a big thing also. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. Okay. So, and also yeah. I think we need, besides for just guns, how to purchase the gun, there's so many warning signs with this person that, besides for how he purchased the His gun, music, it, if you listen to his, his music, music videos, oh I didn't see the videos, the music itself was like, no, the music <laughs> what is happening? It was like a music video of him just going around. There was two separate ones. There was one where he was in a school and he was shooting people. Yeah, he was he was like doing like a mock school shooting type of situation. And there was another what? one that was a cartoon where I don't know if this was like the point of it, but I noticed personally that one of the people who someone was shooting, like I guess it was him or someone else who had the gun and was going around shooting people. Yeah. One of the people who he shot was colored blue and red. So I have no idea if that has to do with like July fourth. Like that's like weird. A, because I know he had a fixation. An ode to July right. 4th, yeah. He had a fixation on the numbers 4 and 7. Because yeah. you can see um, in all his Twitter comments, he just, all he did was comment 4, 7, 4, 7, 4, 7, 4, 7. But then why wasn't it 7, 4? Like, why didn't it start 7, 4? Like, I was confused. Right, right. right it should have been version. April 7th. Right. Yeah. What I was thinking is maybe he was like, oh, like, it's kind of, like, first of all, I mean, July 4th, people are more out and whatever. Maybe he wasn't patient I mean, enough to wait. Next maybe, April. maybe yeah and also i think if it's july 4th anyway and you want to have a double significance where you like the number seven and four and also it's july 4th which is there's gatherings holiday, also right? yeah. like there's gatherings everywhere he ruined july 4th there are no fireworks whatever yeah. it's fine it's fine <laughs> yeah, yeah but i also think that like a lot of people are blaming this and like gun control and red flag laws and all of these things but in reality like I feel like more blame should be placed on the family members who noticed this. Like, there's no blame there at all. I was, um, I watched a, an, an interview where someone was interviewing a relative of his. I don't remember exactly who it was. And she was, like, saying, they were asking all the, these questions, like, 
did you guys have any warning signs or anything like that? And she was like, no, we had no warning signs. No one had any idea he was struggling. And, like, that's just a blatant lie. Um, and I just thought, like, it was so It was on YouTube. Like, you couldn't deny it. Yeah. It, it wasn't <laughs> even on YouTube. It was all over. Such, like, yeah. just the way he looked. I know. He didn't look oh, mentally yeah. stable. The one of him in, like, the prison cell was... <laughs> exactly so i i just think like we should like stop focusing on all the gun control laws because people who are mentally unstable are going to get the guns regardless and you can't stop it though the things we need to be focused on is the mental health part of this like how do we how do we help these people like mentally stop focusing on like the gun issue of it not everything has to be so politicized so the next topic we have to discuss is one that you know now people are talking about it it's pretty low-key no one's really overreacting or anything like that and that of course is the supreme court overturning roe versus wade it's been oddly quiet people have definitely not been refusing to celebrate fourth of july or threatening to leave the united states over this um yeah it's been a lot but what I'm going to do first, I'm going to just outline exactly what Roe versus Wade is and the relevant cases re- relating to that and then how they were overturned and then we're going to have a little bit of a dialogue about abortion. So, Roe versus Wade basically federally protected abortion. So, it was in 1973 and what it did was it claimed that in this the majority this it was a 7-2 decision, the majority claimed that regulating abortion was was kind of denying a woman a right to privacy and they found this right to privacy in the 14th amendment they somehow were able to say that the 14th amendment guaranteed a woman a right to privacy regarding abortion and made it that the state could not overregulate abortion so what it did really was it kind of struck a balance between these two things between a woman's right to privacy and putting that in quotes you know quote-unquote right to privacy because of you know the 14th amendment which they kind of you know they, they that's what they kind of felt what what the 14th amendment was even though my personal opinion is that that was very much not a inter- proper interpretation of the reading of the constitution but anyway that was what they were tricking the balance between women's right to privacy and then the state's interest in regulating abortion because obviously you know clearly states had wanted to regulate abortion so what they did was to kind of you know strike a balance between these two was they created a trimester framework which essentially just on a very basic level made it that you know an early trimester you know the first trimester early in the pregnancy would be very difficult for states to regulate abortion without you know being challenged or having their laws overturned and then the later in pregnancy that you get the viability of the of the fetus kind of comes into play and then it becomes easier for states to regulate. That's essentially what Roe versus Wade did. And then there was a similar case, Planned Parenthood versus, of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey, Planned Parenthood v. Casey. That was in 1992. And in this case, which was very similar, the Supreme Court said that restricting abortion is unconstitutional if it places an undue burden on a woman who wanted to have an abortion before the fetus is viable, right? So this was kind of a similar case. You know, it said that if it's before the viability of the fetus, which is similar to what Roe versus Wade said, you can't regulate abortion if it's going to create an undue burden for the woman, which is kind of vague, but I mean, I guess 
that it really was similar to Roe versus Wade in that it really was protecting abortion, especially in early trimesters, in the early trimester. So the way these two cases were overturned was a lot of states, I guess, kind of want make pro-life laws knowing that they kind of go against Roe and Casey because they want them to get to the Supreme Court and then the Supreme Court could potentially overturn Roe and Casey examining whatever law is being brought. So Mississippi had a 15-week abortion ban, which was challenged, you know, and brought all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, in this case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, Dobbs v. Jackson, the Supreme Court ended up ruling in favor of the 15-week abortion ban. And in that, they kind of said, you know, like, we rule in favor of this, we find that Roe Ro and Casey were wrong decisions, and we overturn Roe and Casey. So essentially what now the case is with abortion is that the issue of abortion goes back to the states, whereas before, you know, there have been federal laws and what the states could do. Now the issue goes entirely back to the states, and the states get to decide. So I want to talk about a little bit of a legal perspective on this before we get into a more moral abortion perspective. So we have a federalist system of government, which means you have a federal government, you know, that's overarching laws for the entire country, but we also have individual states who each have their own laws. And federalist system is a great system because it restricts what the federal government can do. So if there is not something that is the federal government is given explicit permission to do, then that issue goes to the states. That's essentially what the Tenth Amendment says. You know, anything that's not reserved for the federal government goes to the states. So, from a legal perspective, of course, this this Dobbs decision that overturned Roe and Casey was the correct decision. People will say that, yeah, oh, that's actually incorrect because the 14th Amendment gave women right to privacy, which then, you know, protected, gave the federal government a right to protect abortion. But if you really look at the federal, that the 14th Amendment in an honest way, it was really a stretch. And obviously the justices saw this, it was really a stretch to say that it had anything to do with abortion. If anything, it is a pro-life amendment because it says that every person, you know, is treated equally under the law and that should include, has the right to life liberty in the pursuit of happiness and that should include a, a fetus, you know? So really, we, we could argue, actually pro-lifers could argue that really, it, there should be a federal ban, but ignore that. I find it difficult to get from the 14th Amendment that women have this right to, you know, privacy in abortion, in an abortion sense. I just find that difficult to to honestly extract from the Constitution. So if we're going to say that, then yes, it should be going to the states. And that shouldn't be a bad thing because we want small government. We don't want a federal government that makes all these different rules and re regulations and has more power than is absolutely necessary. We want a small federal government and we want different states to be able to have different rules. Obviously, again, I would be in favor of federal abortion ban because I think abortion is a moral sin and a moral stain in our society. But again, just disregarding that for a second, certainly we should want a small federal government. We should want different states to have different rules so that you can go to the state where that you would want to live in. And 
Also, that something I was listening to on, I was watching the Daily Wire backstage, which I highly recommend everyone watch. It was, it was, they had a, some brilliant perspectives on abortion, some interesting perspectives. And one of them said, I forgot who, or I would, you know, say, but one of the Daily Wire people said, they gave like an interesting point that this might actually be a pathway to have a federal ban on abortion because if we slowly, you know, have states making their own rules, eventually, you know, through efforts of the pro-life movement, if and keep speaking out, we can get enough states to be on board with an abortion ban so that if we were to ever get a majority, which hopefully we will in midterms, get a majority in the House and the Senate and we could kind of have enough votes here or whatever to make an amendment, you know, protecting the right the right of a fetus to life, you know, an amendment, then we might have a majority of states at that point through work, through pro-life movement speaking out, we might have enough states to actually ratify a new amendment and that would be a, be a better pathway than trying to extrapolate the right to life of fetus from the 14th amendment because people just would not stand for that but i think that is really just a legal perspective and now of course we have to get into the moral issue with abortion and discuss that i just want to like put in perspective um how many babies are being killed a year uh have been killed since 1973 when Roe v. Wade came into action. So right, we all know that 6 million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust and I'm not trying to make a connection between the two. I'm just putting it in perspective. Since 1973, 63 million babies have been murdered through abortion. And that's, that, just the United that, States. that's just the United States. That Your brain should not be able to fathom the that amount of deaths deaths per year just through abortion and that is like i feel like it's not talked about enough how many no i didn't know that if you ask a person like oh how many kids are being killed a year through abortion like they're not gonna say over a million because you no one's been being told that yeah and no offense but like I don't want to say this, but, like, you're doing an action. Like, you know the repercussions of it. Like, it isn't a shock. Right. It's not a shock. It's, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's the whole thing with the left, though, is they're not all about no personal responsibility. You know, it's all about the systems around you and the things around you that cause you to act the way that you did. So nothing is ever your fault and you right. don't have to take responsibility for anything. So they'll say, like, we always say, like, listen, you're consenting to sex, you're consenting to pregnancy. And that seems like such a logical thing right. to me. I've never understood that people, when I said this to people, they get so angry. And I'm like, Like, sex is not consensual. So like, wait. What? Like, you're not consenting you're not to consenting birth. To That's like saying, like, wait. when you take a medicine, like, you don't consent to that side effects. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. That's when you're driving a car, you, you don't do consent it. to a car crash. Like, yeah. you're not saying, oh, yes, I want a thing? car crash. But, like, yeah. when you go in a car, you are realizing that there is a risk that you can It goes back to, be, like, the... Exactly. It's just, like, it's just like the circular... Speed limits, yeah. The speed limits, the seatbelts. It's, it's all, It's not like, coming from a place of common knowledge. Yeah, like, yeah, there are things there to protect you. Obviously, you can use protection, and that will work most of the time. But even if you were using protection, listen, you know risk. Exactly. Like, unless you're literally an idiot. Like... It you, says 99% for a reason. Yeah, like, like, if things happen, and I'm sorry, just because something happened, you knew the risks going in. And 
I think that people who claim that, like, somehow that there, there's no correlation between the yeah. two. And it's also just, like, facing difficulties doesn't justify murder. Like, yeah. just because you're in a difficult situation or, like, you know. Okay, but, like, then, it, like, what happens if the person was raped? Okay, so we Okay, okay. First, well, first so of all, people, people, people yeah. always bring about... Whenever, first of all, that should never happen listen, to someone, yes, but, but sadly. Whenever you're debating a pro-choice person, they will bring up rape or incest or anything like that. And the first thing you have to tell, you have to say to them is, listen, if you're okay with all other abortions, why are you bringing up rape? It's right. it's not, it doesn't mean anything. That means rape's your only justification. Exactly. Don't Which use rape. we're still going to answer the question. Okay, so also when we, you know, use that, when we say that, like, when we say, oh... If you're okay with all the all of all other abortions and like why you're bringing up rape, but then we also need to get to the bottom of this and actually answer the question. And the answer is fairly simple. The answer is that facing difficulties, facing hard times, does not justify the murder of another human. Rape, you're able to feel bad for them and help them as much as you can, but it does not justify murder. Nothing justifies murder. Being raped does not justify murder. And yes, it's a horrible situation. So you're saying that they should have the child? Yes. Okay, okay, wait, wait. Obviously, wait, wait. Obviously, like, I'm not talking about full term. No, 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 no. Full term is actually, like, dismembering, like, that whole thing. Ugh. But that's what I'm saying. Facing a difficulty does not justify murder. But it's not. Okay, I have a few. <laughs> that, okay. Wait, wait. If that doesn't justify. I have a few more points. That can okay. <laughs> <laughs> even even I, I see your point, obviously, and I think that the reason that that's such people think that way is because it's so emotional and it's so hard to comprehend emotionally I, to wrap your mind around. Yeah, like it's hard to wrap your mind around, and I think it's. One of the biggest. <laughs> I'm staring at me like, what wait, the wait, heck wait, is no, this? No, 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 no. Not at all, because I totally understand where the thought process comes from. This, but do you agree that it's a life, regardless if it was a rape or if she just didn't take birth control? It's a life, regardless of how it got there. So it's murder either way. You can justify the murder, but you're agreeing that it's murder. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, and I. I don't know. I don't want to say anything because I feel like. I don't know, this is being recorded, but also, like, if someone has a family, like, a full-on family of, like, I don't know, whatever you think a family is, six kids, two kids, whatever, and he goes and gets raped, and you're saying that she should have this child? You're saying that she should kill it, though. There's a few other reasons besides for the fact that it's a life, though. For one... I can't. If you put it up for adoption, like, it's not that simple. It's not that, like check off boxes like oh right. done goodbye no, 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 no. I, we are not saying that it's simple at all i'm not saying like oh yeah she should just give the baby like it's no big deal of course it's a huge deal like and it's horrible but at the same time it all stems down to like difficult times does not justify murder difficult if times calls for difficult measures and, no, and but difficult saying- measures should not be murder and if, right, if you're arguing that, you know, difficult times call for difficult, whatever, you know, all that, then I think that's a discussion to be had, you know, and it's a, to say, you know, what constitutes a risk of life? Does suicide ideation constitute a risk of life? Like that kind of thing, I think, is important to bring up. But I think that also besides, there's another argument completely irrespective of the fact that it's a life, not a life, whatever. It's the idea that someone who is a rape victim has an amount of trauma that's very hard to comprehend. That's a kind of trauma that you can't really understand unless you've been through it, right? I was waiting for this. <laughs> so 
Then come something a big thing with abortion that's not talked about is the regret. Is that there are dozens and dozens of people online, thousands who regret their abortions and wish nothing more than the fact that they would have kept that child because we're lied to in schools, they're lied to in the public school system, they're lied to in the media that it is a clump of cells and that you will feel no regret, you will feel not feel bad, you will not regret it, you'll be fine to go on the way if it's a clump of cells. But that's not the truth. And the truth will set you free. Lies will only push you down. So when you believe that lie and you get the abortion, you think that that's going to somehow, even, even if it doesn't fix your trauma, not worsen your trauma, it will in fact often just make the trauma even worse because you will have so much regret and guilt afterwards. I think that's another point that isn't the main point because, I mean, the fact that it's a life has to be the main argument, definitionally, in the pro-life movement. But besides for that, I think that's another argument that people need to talk about more. I think I'm just I think I'm just shocked why (laughs) I don't know like it's not I feel like the media makes it into like a very black and white topic of like pro-abortion like you could kill this child in your stomach whenever and then it's like the other side of like um no you can never kill a child like it's not but like everything's like it's not black and white like we should just try to find some common ground so (laughs) <laughs> the common ground that I think not just for my religious belief, but, you know, my political beliefs both agree with this. I think the common ground really can be plan B at times, but I think plan B, when it is preventing conception, which is what it, you know, is kind of meant to do. What is plan the, B? That's it's plan B is the morning after. Basically. It's a, if you know you had, like, sex without any protection, you can take a pill and it's like... It, 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 it can prevent. Yeah, it's meant to prevent conception. Conception. But like after it's done. Like like before the, the egg is fertilized. But sometimes but sometimes it's too late. And when it's too late, it will prevent implantation, which is when the egg implants in the uterus. So that's kind of an issue, you know, because if you're saying life begins at conception, then implantation is after conception. So that plan B, you aren't really sure if it's going to prevent conception or prevent implantation. So that's why I think that in some extreme cases, weighing those options, plan B could be an acceptable option. I would, religiously, that's, that's, we're religious shoes in case anyone else listening to this that does not know that. Um, and also just politically, I think that's what makes the most sense. But yeah, I think that it's definitely a very difficult issue and it's never going to be easy to talk about and no one's ever going to completely you know agree with everyone else about it and i think that's fine i think that's an area that we can have have open to discussion but you know i think at the end of the day our main argument is always going to be that it's a life yeah Yeah. so there's one more thing i wanted to mention with abortion and there's a lot more things i I would like to mention there's a lot but one thing I wanted to point out is that what is the role of the pro-life movement now? Because the pro-life movement, you know, we were all about overturning Roe versus Wade, but the pro-life movement has has to necessarily has to continue to be pro-life. So one big thing that they're doing now is pregnancy centers. You know, they've always done it. But well, well, actually, now um, the left has decided yeah. that they should be burnt <laughs> yeah, so and destroyed. So Nancy Pelosi did in fact in their pregnancy centers. I don't say the word Nancy Pelosi. It's making me think of a specific image. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you don't know, if you don't know, don't look it up. Don't God it saved up. you from a lot of trauma. Oh. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, Good luck with that. Have fun sleeping tonight. Yeah, but meanwhile, I'll continue this 
thing that I was saying is pro-life p- pregnancy centers, what they're doing is they're giving you free diapers, uh. free food. <laughs> we have reaction yeah. right now. We. Is it her smiling? No, Shana. She looks awful smiling. She looks awful always. Anyway, pro-life pregnancy centers, they must necessarily now be fighting even harder, you know, despite the West attempt to literally burn them to the ground because that is how we must be <gasps> no so we had to take a little break um for shauna to emotionally process um if you have not seen that picture bless your heart but i do want to make a few points about the role of the pro-life movement now so that's what i'm gonna do so now that obviously i'm sure a lot of us would like a federal abortion ban but right now where we are we as the pro-life movement have to invest our time and our energy and our efforts into these pregnancy centers because that really is the the essence of being pro-life is supporting these women in difficult situations because if not then we really our argument doesn't really stand. We have to support these women. And pregnancy centers, they're everywhere. I'm sure you can find one near wherever you live. And they'll give you free diapers, free baby food, uh, any stuff you need for your child for whatever period of time they're able to support you for. And I think that's just what we really have to be doing is just being loving and encouraging and helping these women. There was this video that I saw where there's this woman who's walking into a Planned Parenthood and a lot of times people will like stand outside pro-lifers and kind of just, you know, tell them they have other options and try to talk them out of it. So this woman was walking in and this man asked, you know, what are you doing? It's like, I'm going, going to get an abortion. And he says, well, you know, down the street, there's this pregnancy center and for up to two years the first of all your baby has a heartbeat and they'll show you that heartbeat they'll give you an ultrasound but besides for that for up to two years they'll support you with any things you need for your baby diapers and formula whatever you need and she ended up being convinced and she said okay you know what i'm gonna go check it out and that to me is really that is true compassion and true loving helping these women through these situations and it really also proves because the left always likes to say about the right that we are so pro-life but then once the baby's born we aren't pro-life anymore and that's just simply not true we want to support these women for as long as we possibly can and help them through these situations and be compassionate and loving and caring toward them and just another point on that it's so telling that the left is so against pregnancy centers because that's really what gives women the choice right because if they feel like they have no other options then they feel abortion is their only choice but pregnancy centers give women the choice to choose life and it's so ironic that the left is so for choice and they advocate for women being able to choose to abort their children yet they ignore the fact that choice involves giving them both options and giving them resources to keep the child so i think that that really just kind of is a good place to end this conversation it's just something to think about and we're going to move on to our next topic okay so moving on to our next topic we're going to be 
discussing Biden proposing a change to Title IX. So I'm going to have my dear friend Esty here explain everything that you need to know. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is read what Title IX says. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal funding. So that basically meant that you couldn't discriminate based on sex in education, you know, obviously, like if you wanted to receive federal funding. So that, in effect, what it did was it gave girls very a lot of opportunities in athletics because that was an area where there was a lot of inequality before this and this was 50 years ago it was the 50th anniversary that Biden announced these changes so it's from 1972 but really what title IX did was because you know in the past obviously an area where there was a lot of discrepancy between you know men and women and boys and girls would be athletics right so title IX said that you couldn't discriminate against the girls you know or use less of your of the money or use less like kind of effort to have girls athletics programs as you did with boys so they had to be the same in terms of funding and yeah that gave a lot of opportunities for girls to be participating in athletics in schools and there's also some other aspects of title IX that biden also kind of made changes to having to do with sexual harassment and how schools deal with that, which also is related to Title IX. But we're going to focus mostly on this one change that Biden did, which is he said that included in Title IX is transgender status, basically. So that in effect means that transgender individuals can be on the sports team they want to be on, be in the bathroom they want to be in, be in the locker room they want to be in. So that's what we're going to discuss is the implications of that. I personally feel like the two biggest issues with this is sports and then like the whole bathroom locker room thing because with the women's sports first of all it is so anti-woman like I don't understand how you can be a feminist and then be pro this like that's just it just contradicts itself it doesn't make sense at all um but with the whole sports thing like it puts these women at such a disadvantage there is a reason that men and women have separate sports to begin with and it's because men biologically have an advantage over women when it comes to sports you know and that's just like basic science can't deny that there's a reason why when you dig up a grave or you dig up bones from someone you can tell whether they're a man or a woman based off of bone density um and that's because there's a biological difference between men and women and just say that anyone just any any Joe Schmo, who identifies as a woman, even if he is a man, can join a woman's team is so anti-woman and just unfair for these women. And yeah, continue. Yeah, so I think that's, it's, it's a fundamental point that you brought up. And I was listening to a podcast about this and someone brought up, I think it was Lauren Southern, who you guys are going to talk about more. She's great, I love her. <laughs> she brought up a great point. She said, if you want to say that gender and sex are different, great. Say gender and sex are different. But so then why don't we just say, okay, but we separate sports based on sex. Be whatever gender identity you want. But the reason we separate sports is like you said, it's not for it's not for anything other than biology. So if you want to say that your biology doesn't match your gender, fine, be whatever gender you want, we don't care. But 
sex is you're saying sex is separate so we'll, we'll say sex is separate but sports are not by sex so exactly I also i feel like the whole locker room issue is insane like what happened in loudon county in virginia like it's just people don't care what happens to these women when it comes to transgen- transgenders and it just goes to show that like the same people who are so pro women are actually at the end of the day anti woman. Like, do you, why don't you tell everyone about what happened in Loudoun County? Yeah. Okay, so in case anyone missed this story, it was a very big story for you know a while. So essentially, what happened is for some reason, for some reason, Loudoun County just happens to like be terrible with these things. Like they're just always at the forefront of like stupid policies and woke stuff. So Loudoun County, essentially what happened is they had an open bathroom policy. So you could walk into any bathroom you wanted, basically, whatever you identified as, it didn't matter. So there was this boy who, I, I think he was just wearing a skirt. Yeah, he just was yeah. wearing, a skirt. wearing a skirt. I don't even I don't think, he was, I don't think he was transgender. I think he just wore a skirt and walked in yeah. and no one, no one's able to second guess him. Yeah, it was, it was very bizarre, but he's definitely a strange kid. Um, anyway, so then this, some I, guy wearing a skirt, I don't know, ends up bathroom and then he ends up raping the girl in the bathroom and then ended up happening at a different school too a similar situation and it was covered up and we would talk about it because there you know it's such a you would think that's oh that's such a terrible thing it's so anti-woman to cover these things up you know but the thing is like you were saying the left will be anti-woman when it fits their their Narrative. agenda yeah. and right now trans is the hot topic you know and trans is the most oppressed group you could be you know so anything to do with gender if women's rights get in the way of that then women's rights go out the window and we're, we see that time and time again in, in prisons we see it where in california all you have to do is identify as a woman and you can be transferred to the female prison and by the way so these could be sex offenders and besides for that majority of women who end up in these prisons for whatever reasons they're in it have previously been victims of sexual abuse that's just statistically the way it works so you want to be feminist that seems extremely anti-feminist but if you say that that's anti-feminist then you're a turf and you're trans exclusionary radical feminist and you're the real bad person which just doesn't make any sense right and i also feel like you're not no one is able to like stand up for themselves anymore for example the in a lot of county case the father of the girl the victim was you know he was very angry with totally understandable when no one's covering this his nothing's happening to this person who you know raped his daughter that's a very hard and frustrating position to be in and you know there was one viral video of him you know being going all crazy and getting mad and people took it out of context and now parents were labeled as domestic terrorists and it's just like you're you're like women are now like put like stuck in this position where they're not able to speak out about any of these things like in matt walsh's documentary what is a woman everyone go to whatisawoman.com to watch the literally the most amazing documentary of all time um one of the people who he interviewed was a teammate of leah thomas and if you don't know leah thomas is a biological male who you know claims is transgender is a transgender female and he was able to join the the woman swim team at penn university and the teammates and and he also you know was race was competing against these gr- women and he was winning them by you know 47 seconds 47 seconds when it comes to swimming is a huge amount of time that that's like unheard of it's crazy he's beating these women by you know minutes and 
the Matt Walsh interviewed one of his teammates and he the teammate had to you know they they changed his they changed her voice she wasn't seen because she was told that she's not able to speak out about the injustice that they're competing against they're competing against a biological male and they were told that if they have a problem with that that they need to go to therapy they need they need the help not Leah Thomas you know and it's such like an uncomfortable and horrible position for a woman to be in and I feel like we're both women we can relate to this and if I was put in a position where I was in a locker room and a biological male walked in and I knew that I was not able to say anything about that, I would feel like a victim myself. Yeah, it's, it's, it puts women in very unfair positions and people will say like, oh, then to do with trans, like that could just be a creepy guy, but why would we incentivize and allow people like that to take advantage of a system? Like, right. if you're saying that it's just a creepy guy, then why are we making it easier for Exactly, guys? this like, is just like, this is like giving gold to creepy guys. Like this is the perfect opportunity yeah. for them to do everything they've always wanted well, to do. Yeah. Like like the spa, the yeah, sp- where was the spa in? Yeah, in California. Yeah, this man walked into this, you know, spa and just, what he, he started like, he exposed himself, right. And then there was a video of, there was a viral video of this, you know, woman who was in the locker room confronting the, one of the people at the front desk and she was saying like, you're okay with this, you're okay with, you know, a man walking into this, into this locker room or whatever it was and exposing himself to minors and they're not able to say anything because the second they speak out against this, they're labeled as a transphobe and their whole life is ended. They they yeah. normal they no longer get any jobs. Like it cancel culture at its finest. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It it really and yeah, you can't say anything about it and it's it's just frustrating for a lot of people because these are th- we it used to be that women it was all women's rights, whatever, and now that they're, they're, they're not seen as victims anymore. It's always, you know, about who's the biggest victim at the moment. Exactly. And right now, the biggest victim at the top, top of the totem pole is trans. So anything below that does not matter. And we're seeing time and time again how that impacts people who normally would care about, like women and children. Okay, so the next topic we're going to be discussing is the famous Glenn Maxwell partner of Jeffrey Epstein and here's Esty again with all the details you are probably dying to know. Okay so again because we want this to be kind of for anyone who just is not familiar with politics I'm going to quickly outline who Jeffrey Epstein was and who Gillian Maxwell was. So Jeffrey Epstein a very wealthy powerful connected elite who you know just was had a lot of connection with people who were very very powerful and high in government and as it turned out he was a pedophile and he had basically just a pedophile island and he ended up being able to get away with it for a very 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 long time and when he was caught he could just would check into a prison in the morning kind of get to do what he wanted and then just like check back in at night like that kind of thing you know he wasn't really held accountable and then when he finally kind of started to get justice he ended up while he was in prison awaiting trial ended up killing himself slash Slash Clintons may have killed him or anyone else. Um, People, because obviously, you know, people, when you have pedophile island, you are not the only person on that island. So there were others there, but we cannot figure out who these others were. So there are theories that I find pretty believable. Um, Not really about to say that, but that Jeffrey Epstein did not in fact kill himself, but he was killed in order to cover up these details anyway. 
So after he died, then Ghislaine Maxwell eventually was finally had her trial. So Ghislaine Maxwell was his partner. You know, so Jeffrey Epstein needed underage girls to essentially be on this island. And it's much easier to, you know, groom a girl and to get them to trust you if you are also a female. So she would, you know, like, oh, like, you're having a hard time at home, like, very vulnerable girls in very difficult positions, you know. Um, you're having a hard time at home. Oh, your mom's fighting with her boyfriend. Oh, you don't have enough money for a prom dress. I'll help you. Let's go out for coffee. That kind of thing. And slowly she was able to groom them to then be abused by Jeffrey Epstein. So that's, you know, sex trafficking and essentially and a bunch of other charges. So Ghislaine Maxwell ends up having her trial. So Ghislaine Maxwell, she was charged with a bunch of things besides the sex trafficking, all kind of related to sex trafficking. And eventually she was found guilty on all of them or and then after that, you know, she had her... And why don't you tell us what her sentencing, sentencing yeah, was, so Esty? She had her sentencing recently, and she was sentenced to 20 years, which was, like, the bare, bare, bare minimum for these kinds of crimes. And why was that? And that was it. And people were tweeting online, and I just thought this was so... It's, it's funny in a sad way, but I just thought it was funny. I saw these tweets where it was, like, breaking, going to Oxwell against 20 years for sex trafficking girls to no one. Because... Last I checked, when you sex traffic someone, you're trafficking them to someone. It's buying and selling. It's not just selling them to the air. So the, the fact that we do not know who these girls were sold to just shows that when you are an elite and you are powerful, when you are connected, you can get away with literally anything for a long time. Yeah, and this this really is like making me think of Larry Nasser, who, if you guys don't know about him, he is he was the olympic gymnast doctor and he would check all the olympic gymnasts to make sure that they're okay and for a very long time he would sexually assault the girls and you know no one really it wasn't talked about no one really spoke up spoke up about it and he got away with this for a very long time and it just it it, i feel like they're very similar because they're both you know these high status people these elites who you know, they're friends with all these famous wealthy people. They work for these high corporations, companies, and it just goes to show that like when you're of that status, you pretty much get away with whatever you do and you face no consequences, which is like just honestly sad, you know? Yeah, it's it's these it's these powerful people and these powerful institutions more than anything, you know, the right. reported for um, Larry Nasser to the FBI. They were reporting him, and and the, the Olympics actually right. The Olympics covered up for him because yeah. they didn't want they didn't want because you know the consequences of that. That and just like with that, so with the FBI, the FBI were to come out, then that would ruin their reputation because they didn't do anything about it. it would ruin the Olympics reputation because the Olympics allowed this to go on for so long. And same thing here, it would ruin the reputation of whoever is on that list of people who were on Jeffrey Epstein's island and who who bought these girls. So I think it really, it just, what you were saying is, it's these powerful people, these powerful institutions who will do anything, have no more moral compass at all, will do anything to protect their status and protect themselves. You know, are there former presidents on that list of people that Jeffrey Epstein and Glenn were involved with? Are there people who are in government, who run the media, who run large corporations? We don't know. And it just, people will get away with anything if they are powerful because the elites will cover up for them because they don't want to get dragged down. If this were to come out with the Olympics, the Olympics certification is then tarnished. And it just shows that these people don't care about you. These elites 
do not care about you and do not care about what happens to you as long as their own name stays clean. That's literally all they care about. Okay, so the last story we want to cover today is one that is surprisingly not talked about as much as it should be, certainly not in the mainstream media, but it definitely needs to be covered more, and even when it is covered, it's often misrepresented. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about the border crisis, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because there was this story from a few weeks ago where 53 migrants who had been smuggled over the border were found dead in a tractor trailer in San Antonio. They were from some of the countries you typically see these migrants coming from. They were from Guatemala, Mexico, Honduras, and they basically what happened is they had been smuggled over the border and then they somehow were stuck in this tractor trailer and they died of heat stroke, heat exhaustion, and really just a terrible situation. And since then we've had a little bit more information come out. Um, the driver of this truck along with three others were arrested. The driver was charged with smuggling resulting in death. So this was, it's perceived to be a smuggling incident where they had smuggled these illegal immigrants over the border and they had died in the process, these migrants. And I think this is a really sad story for a lot of reasons. Obviously it's tragic that these migrants died and in that in itself is, and this is, first of all, the deadliest smuggling incident in the United States history. So obviously, you know, people making their way to the border, which we're gonna talk about, there's lots of death involved in that, but once, you know, they're being smuggled over, this is the deadliest incident that we have on record. And that's a terrible, terrible thing in itself, but it's also kind of part of a much, much, much larger issue that needs to be discussed, which is that the this kind of, thing you know we're not just coming over the border but coming up to the border from whatever countries these migrants are coming from it's characterized as something that we should be allowing these migrants to do illegally and that that is the compassionate thing to do and that it is racist and cruel to have secure borders and to discourage these people from coming illegally but and that's really the characterization in the media everywhere but that is simply not the case because incentivizing these migrants to come illegally only hurts them obviously it hurts us because a country needs secure borders to survive and thrive but besides for that it hurts these migrants because this journey as seen through this story and other details that i'm going to outline it is extremely extremely dangerous and costly for these migrants so what i want to do is kind of outline the basic process of coming over the border and kind of help paint a picture of just how dangerous that journey can be. So these migrants are coming from primarily Central and South America as long, along with Mexico. So they're coming from Honduras, El Salvador, coming from Guatemala, Haiti, a lot of Haitian migrants after the earthquake in 2010 when their economy was collapsing moved to South America and they came up from there. Coming from Venezuela, they're coming from Mexico as well. And right before they get to Mexico, they have to cross the 
Suchiate River, which connects Guatemala and Mexico. And then once they make it to Mexico, they right away have to find traffickers because there's border security, right? There are these border security officials trying to catch illegal migration. So they need to find someone who knows these highways and knows these trails well enough to avoid all those checkpoints. The official ones and the unofficial checkpoints where people are, where they know that they, there could be illegal migrants trying to get through. So there's these traffickers who know very well how to avoid those and you know, how to get these migrants to their next stop. So you have to pay off a trafficker to get you to your next point. And in Southern Mexico, these traffickers aren't as, you know, dangerous and deadly as the ones in northern Mexico that we're going to discuss, but they're primarily, you know, farmers and just individual coyotes, people who will just smuggle you for a little bit of money to help you get to the next step. And the next step is Tapachua, Mexico. So Tapachua is a huge holding center. It's a huge city that's a huge holding center in that city that is used for kind of holding migrants who are coming, who, who get there. And they these migrants here can wait to get a visa, humanitarian visa, to be allowed to stay in Mexico, basically. But this process is extremely long. It can take weeks to month, months where you're basically just camping out, you know, waiting in lines and just waiting to potentially get a visa. And it is an extremely long process. And some migrants, you know, will wait and will will feel that they they don't want to continue illegally they want to wait and get a visa and stay in mexico or you know figure out a way to move on to the u.s and that is the thing that does happen but a lot of times migrants just like we're lied to in the media and told that this journey is easy for migrants and that it's compassionate to allow them to come migrants are also lied to and they are told that it is easier than it actually is it is safer than it actually is that is simply not the case it is an incredibly dangerous journey but many of them again weigh their options of staying in tapachua for potentially months upon months to potentially get a visa and potentially have to go back to where they came from or to you know continue on illegally so many of them choose that and the way that they're able to kind of get past all this I guess these immigration officials in Tapachua is they'll form these larger groups, these caravans, which, you know, if there's more of us than there are of you, then we can get through and get what we want, essentially, is their mindset. So if there's more people in a caravan than there are immigration officials to stop them, then, you know, strength in numbers, they're able to move on through the rest of Mexico or part of Mexico. And they'll use also pressure tactics, you know, so if they if they um, want a bus, because they've been walking for hundreds of miles, they will, you know, say, will block the highway or they'll have these leaders come in who sometimes have good intentions and sometimes are just political actors. And they'll have them, you know, be these leaders and they'll say, you know, we're blocking your highway until you give us what we want, which is, you know, let's say buses to continue on and because they're walking for hundreds of miles. And that is in itself extremely dangerous. Many of them die on the road because they get sick from being outside, from being, you know, just walking in these just terrible conditions for so long. Many children die. Many women literally who are pregnant have to give birth just on the road going to labor. And it's, it's not an easy journey by any means. And this isn't even the worst part. It, gets worse i'm sorry to interrupt you your points are amazing but this is just making me think of the wonderful aoc the 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 viral and famous 
picture of AOC by the border with her pressed white leather jacket and her white skirt and her red lipstick and all her family and friends who are also wearing white for some odd reason. They thought that would be the smart way to go. It just, I keep, the picture keeps flashing in my head and it's just so ironic and funny that, you know, she actually like, and the sad thing is that she probably did convince minds through that picture because she's a a perfect mix of ignorant and evil. And for her, instead of actually doing anything to solve this problem, it's to, you know, go to the border and take some pictures of herself crying and, you know, to make it seem like it's such a horrible situation that, you know, bad guy Trump did. And I just keep thinking about that. It's just so funny. Yeah, and it's so, you brought up such a good point um, in that. And it's, it's so ironic that you said that because the person who I got most of this information from, you know, who kind of tracked some of these migrant stories is Lauren Southern. She's great. She made a documentary. It's on YouTube. It's called American Mirage. And, you know, she went down to the border and she was interviewing migrants and interviewing traffickers. And it's just, it's so funny because people like AOC, like you said, you know, with her perfect white clothes and her perfect hair and her perfect red lipstick, she, they, they, they seem like, oh, like, she's so brave for speaking out. She's speaking out for these marginalized people, you know. She's such a an inspiration and a hero, but she's fake. She's just using emotional manipulation to get people to listen to her. And like you said, it probably works, but she's virtually just using propaganda and not actually doing anything of value. She's just fake crying and... It's just a, such a contrast to people where you cannot get actual information and learn what's actually going on. People like Lauren Southern, who risked her and her team, risked her life to get this information, you know, where they ended up uh, ending up coming face to face with traffickers who were armed and could have killed them on the spot and were in extremely dangerous situations. And it's just we need to recognize that and say that, you know, those are people who are heroic and are brave and will do dangerous things to inform the public and to try to spread a message that they actually care about versus AOC who just fakes it and cries and tries to to just convince people because people are ignorant enough to believe her and I just think it's a good point that you brought up and it's it's very frustrating so now continuing on with this journey so as they're walking along one of the things that many of them choose to do to kind of get closer to that northern border between the U.S. and Mexico is they will sometimes try to get a ride on this train. It is called the Beast or the Train of Unknowns. Those are a few nicknames that it has, very ominous nicknames for a reason. And this is a freight train that, you know, they'll climb on the sides or get on the top and they will, you know, use that as a, a way to get closer to the border and this train is incredibly dangerous the nicknames definitely were earned not given and it's run by gangs you know so these gangs will use any means to get what they want from these migrants so that might mean extortion they'll they'll charge them money and force them to by the way these migrants are already 
literally giving all their life savings just to pay off all the traffickers and all the coyotes that they need in this process. But besides for that, they are they have might have to pay off a gang just to get a spot on this train, you know? They could fall between the wheels and that does happen. And again, this think about it, this is not just just men. People kind of see the typical migrant as just like a fighting age male because if you think about like the migrants coming into Europe from these different Arabic countries they are typically fighting age males, you know, trying to escape war and conflict in their country and traveling such a long distance is much easier. But in the in this this type of immigration coming from these Latin America, Latin America really to the US, it is not just males, it is women, it is children, families, and a big reason for that we're gonna get into later is because it's much easier to get into the country if you have a child with you, which we're gonna get into the implications of that. But again, this is children, you know, trying just trying to get to america and so on this train like i said so they could fall between the wheels again like i said gangs run these trains so they can get anything from you that they want they will rob migrants who already virtually have nothing they will rape migrants who are on this train and what are you going to do you can't get off you know you want to jump off a moving train like go for it you want to risk your only chance of getting to america go for it but virtually they're stuck and that's, that's kind of another point I want to touch on for a minute is that along this journey, think about it. These people don't, they, they're coming, trying to come to America illegally. They don't want to be recognized. They don't want to be identified. And that is, the, they are the perfect victims for crimes because if you want someone who will not report you to the police, will not report you to authorities because they themselves are trying to illegally migrate, they they will not be known to be missing because often people who are coming, let's say, without a family member or a child who's coming unaccompanied, which does happen often, they could be picked up by a trafficker or they could be killed or raped. And what are they going to do about it? What are you going to do? You know, you're not going to tell anyone. And if you're dead, no one will know you're missing probably for a very long time. So these are things that are not discussed. And so this is, these are things that happen along the journey. And the worst part that happens is at the very end. So at the very end, Southern Mexico, like I described, is run by, you know, I'm not really, not run, but the traffickers there are, you know, they're just farmers, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing. Um, and they'll just help migrants, you know, who just for a little bit of money, help them get to Tapachula and there are their individual coyotes working alone. Northern Mexico, that is not the case. Northern Mexico, much of it is run by cartels. When I mean, when I say run by cartels, I mean you cannot do anything without the cartel being in control of it, in control of what you buy, in control of businesses there, in control of everything. And the cartels are in control of these entire strips of border. So if you try to cross the border without going through the cartel, you will be killed, you will. and. So what you have to do is these migrants will kind of go to the cartel and the cartel will get their information and then they will, the cartel will then get a trafficker or a coyote to smuggle these people over and then the cartel will pay with the migrants money that they got from the migrants. They will then use that migrants money to pay the people that they're getting to take people over, these traffickers and these coyotes. And along this process, again, there's much crime. There's tons of crime that goes on. Um, specifically, there's a lot, a lot of trafficking, whether it be drug trafficking, sex trafficking is a huge issue, um, specifically with children, because like I said, there's, if you have a child with you, it is much easier to be let into the country because they, they can't really keep children 
for long periods of time so they'll often just let them into the country and that again seems like the compassionate thing to do this is just a child with their mother and their father you know just want a new life for themselves first of all like i said many of these migrants are misled so often these are not migrants who are so incredibly desperate that they, they were to stay where they came from they would be victims of violent crime and they would be killed Obviously, some are in that situation, but many are just economic migrants. They want a better life for themselves. You know, they want to not be as poor as they are, which is a valid, I think, reason, you know, to want to move, I think. But is it worth risking everything, risking your life and the life of your child, risking being a victim of a violent crime? To many of them, I think if they knew what they would be encountering along the way, they would not come. But to get to back to my broader point about how it seems so compassionate to just allow these children and these families into the country, in reality it is not. Because if you do not ensure that the children you are letting into this country are with their actual parents, there is no guarantee that they are not being sex trafficked and many thousands upon thousands of children are the the united states it has one of the largest sex trafficking markets in the world it's embarrassing and we should be embarrassed and there's people who speak out about this all the time for example tim ballard fantastic fantastic guy to listen to about this he's the founder of Operation Underground Railroad, he'll do missions to rescue children and women and anyone really, but primarily children who are being sex trafficked. But he talks about this all the time and he says how we, we think it's so cruel to keep these children from getting into this country and separating them from the adults they're coming in with. It seems like, oh my gosh, you're separating them from their, from their parents, but we have to make sure they are their parents because the reality is that many are not with their parents and many of them are either children who were sent up with someone who said they were going to get the child in to get them a better life. Many of them are unaccompanied children who get picked up by traffickers along the way. And it's a terrible, terrible situation. And if I sound like I'm getting angry, it's because I am. It's because people are so disingenuous. People like AOC that you mentioned, Eliana, earlier. People are so disingenuous and so just dishonest about this and they think it is so compassionate that's why joe biden ran his campaign on this idea of letting migrants in of being the nice guy right of being the guy who would let migrants in it seems like the compassionate thing to do but it is not it is by no means the compassionate thing to do to encourage someone to take a journey that could result in their death and then being trafficked for years of their life in this country to any kind of harm that could come to them and their children and with the biden administration realized this sort of you know they realized that the american people were starting to wake up to this and were starting to become frustrated with the amount of illegal immigration on our border besides for the migrants sake for our country's sake because there are gang members coming over you know there are convicted killers and rapists coming over that border and i'm not saying that's the majority by no means is but you know, you have to have some kind of border security to ensure that there are people not coming over who are are not a danger or a threat to this country. And, you know, there we've caught people on the terror watch list, the FBI's terror watch list, potential terrorists coming over the border because they're exploiting that system. But when they start saw when the Biden administration started to see that people were waking up, they kind of backtracked a little. You know, there's the famous clip of Kamala Harris down in Guatemala saying, you are thinking of making the dangerous trek, do not come. And But that's just confusing and that's frustrating rhetoric because the Biden administration was so encouraging and so compassionate, it seemed, and they were 
yelling and saying the Trump administration is so evil, they're so racist, they're building a wall. No, the wall discouraged immigration. The wall discouraged illegal immigration and encouraged people to come legally. Do I think the legal system of immigration could be improved? Yes, we should have that discussion 100%. But encouraging people to come illegally is just exploiting them very frankly for your own political agenda and encouraging them to risk their lives and they are being lied to and told that it is easy and just i think that we really have to have more discussions about this and i'm just so grateful to people like lauren southern who will make these documentaries you know where she was down at the border she was this is again where i got most of my information as i said from her documentary called american mirage which i will link i'm going to link american mirage i'm going to link what is a woman and i'm going to link where you can find pregnancy centers, like a local Chicago area pregnancy center. Just so make sure you check those links. But American Raj, her documentary, where she was down interviewing migrants, interviewing traffickers in Northern Mexico, filming at places where she thought there would be trafficking going on because by the way, she would she looked, used a drone and she found breaks, her and her team, incredible, found breaks in Trump's wall and said, you know what, I think there's gonna be trafficking here. There's no way there's not illegal activity going on here. First morning they were there, right away they spotted traffickers and who were armed, you know, who could have shot them, her and her team on the spot. And just like I mentioned earlier, but I wanna bring up this point again, just what I said when, you know, Eliana, when you were talking about AOC is that, you know, there's these fake political actors who just either are, I always, you know, like to say that we shouldn't be attributing to malice that which can be adequately explained with, with stupidity. But I, I don't think, I think AOC is stupid, but I also think she is malicious and evil in that she will use and not just her, Biden too, Kamala Harris, you know, all your left-wing people encouraging this illegal immigration, they will use the, their their political, I guess, influence and just put out these empty messages of saying that border security and discouraging illegal immigration is racist and cruel, but really it is cruel to encourage it. And I, I feel like we, we, I keep saying this, we need to be having a bigger discussion about this. I'm extremely passionate. I'm sure you can tell in my voice. I, I, It's one of the things I'm most passionate about because, simply because I think we can change minds about this. I think there are some issues that people will always be stuck on. People will always kind of, you know, be, people are, we're not, listen, we're not going to convince every single pro-choice person to become pro-life. That's an issue that's extremely divisive that people, I think, are very stuck on. I think there's a lot of other issues that are like that, but I think one that we can actually, as conservatives, and even not conservatives, people who just want to seek out facts that we can change minds about, is this topic of illegal immigration and border security. And it's just something I'm very, like, I'm, I'm almost get emotional about it because, it's, it, it breaks my heart to see what's like, I, I also think, you know, you should watch Tim Ballard's interviews about sex trafficking. You should watch Lauren Southern's documentary. You should listen to podcasts. You should do research on this because this is something that is, we need to be having more discussions about this. It is incredibly important and we, we can change minds. I am convinced that we can change minds on this topic. So I implore you to please look into this. If there's one topic that you do more research on besides i mean abortion is i think a big one also but there's one topic that you i can change someone's mind on who is against the border wall or is against the type border security is against ice immigrations and customs enforcement who's against these things that are saving migrants lives then 
and discouraging illegal immigration that is leading to migrants' deaths and horrible other things, then I think we need to be doing that. So, anyway, that's all I have to say. There's, I mean, I could say so much more, but I think we're going to be talking about this a lot in this podcast, so get ready. But th- this is just something I'm very passionate about. So, that's all I have to say for now. All right. Thank you, guys. This... It's funny because this is technically our first podcast, but it's actually not. Surprisingly, this is actually. (laughs) (laughs) This is surprisingly actually our second time. We did record um, the entire for. Actually, we recorded everything we said today a few nights ago, and it did all get deleted. So this is technically our second podcast. The first one is just gone somewhere. But thank you guys so much for staying till the very end. Well, everyone except for Shauna, who actually left an hour and a half ago. Um, But everyone else who stayed till the end, thank you guys so much. And don't forget to click the like button and subscribe. Not subscribe. And follow. You know how this works, but anything that you can do. Anything that you can do. Rate it, rate it, follow. We don't even know. And I just want to say that Esty is literally amazing. And she's been my political buddy for literally forever she's the one who taught me everything i know so anything i say that's smart or stupid it's all estes fault (laughs) it is and yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this was really fun and we hope to do this as often as possible different guests so no i I don't know how i feel about that esty we'll we'll see but hopefully some familiar faces as well but but uh, i hope you guys enjoyed And that is a wrap on episode one. Thanks for turning right.